Chapter Fifteen of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen. Lady Anne Mellant was seated alone in her drawing room in the large and handsome town house which had been inhabited for many years by her father and grandfather. She looked less gay, more thoughtful than usual. Perhaps the weather might have some share in depressing for most people born in england are more or less barometers and subject to be raised or depressed by the state of the atmosphere foreigners i believe generally imagine that the cause of two englishmen as soon as they meet beginning to talk of the weather is that they have nothing else to talk of or that the variation of our changeable climate is the most prominent fact in the natural history of the land or because the weather is the only open question free from all tinge of the party spirit which affects all other things in our native country but the real cause lies deeper it is that in almost all instances the fibres of an englishman's body are affected by the changes of the weather like the strings of a fine instrument more or less of course according to the constitution of the individual but still as i have said in most men it is so and the mind being in tune or out of tune in consequence emits sounds accordingly now one of the strange vicissitudes of climate had taken place which are so common under our skies a day or two of fine clear summer weather had been succeeded by a morning covered with thick grey clouds while the east wind hurried a sort of dim and filmy mist through the air cutting to the marrow all who exposed themselves to its influence it was the true picture of a reverse of fortune the summer sun of prosperity clouded dim uncertainty pervading the atmosphere and the cold and cutting blast of ingratitude and neglect and contemptuous pity chilling the very soul nevertheless although i do not mean to say that lady anne mellant was not at all affected by the weather yet her grave and meditative mood had other stronger causes she had a great deal to think of just then and she leaned her fair brow upon her hand the thick glossy ringlets falling over her taper fingers and her eyes fixed upon a sheet of writing paper whereon her other hand was fancifully sketching all sorts of strange figures her mind had nothing to do with what her hand was about or what her eye was fixed upon i do not know what part or portion of the strange mixed whole expressed by the little monosyllable man it is that occupies itself with trifles while the high spirits the sensitive soul and the intellectual mind are engaged in reasonings deep or other mightier things but so it often is that when the brain and heart are most busy with strong thoughts something i know not what gives employment to the corporeal faculties just as a nurse amuses a sick child with playthings while two learned doctors are consulting of its state thus it was now with lady anne her mind saw not the things she was drawing the dancing men and women the flowers the fruits the trees the wild and graceful arabesques the ruined towns and castles the volutes the capitals the columns she had not an idea of what she was about but deep in some little chamber of the brain with the doors and windows closed while imagination held a taper and memory spread out a map before her the mind sat and studied the chart of the past 
trying to lay out plans for carrying on into the unexplored future the roads along which her destiny had hitherto run she was startled from her reverie by a servant opening the drawing-room door and announcing mr charles marston and raising her head with a slight glow upon her cheek she held out her hand to him with frank and kindly greeting well you have come to see me at length she said and i suppose i must take your yesterday's apologies in good part especially as i find that one of the two letters did arrive and i have been reading this morning all the nonsense it contains with a great deal of interest and satisfaction there is nothing in the world like nonsense either for pleasure or amusement sense is so hard so square and so sharp in the points that it is always scratching one somewhere i am sure adam and eve must have been talking nonsense to each other all day long in paradise otherwise it would not have been half so pleasant a place as it is represented charles marston took a seat by her side with a very faint smile saying i am afraid dear lady anne that i must give up nonsense for the future and devote myself to dull hard dry sense stir the fire charles marston replied his fair companion the cold east wind has made you melancholy now for the last three-quarters of an hour i have myself been much more sober and reflective than is at all proper and right and i do not choose to be encouraged in such bad habits by the seriousness of anybody else what can have made you serious asked charles marston in a tone of doubt his eyes fixed upon the paper on which lady anne had been sketching your gravity must have been somewhat frolicsome good heaven did i draw all that she exclaimed looking down at the paper to which he pointed i was not in the least aware of it nay then you must have been serious indeed replied charles marston with a tone both of surprise and sympathy what can have happened to oppress your light heart what can have happened to oppress yours charles rejoined lady anne something must have occurred i am sure for though i have known you from childhood i never saw you in such a mood till now what is it a change of fortune dear lady anne he said implying the relinquishment of the dearest and fondest hopes my heart ever entertained hopes and wishes which though treated gaily lightly perhaps were not the less deeply rooted the less profoundly felt he paused for a moment as if summoning strength to go on with a task that nearly overpowered him and she sat gazing on his face with a look of anxious alarm at length he proceeded i have loved you lady anne deeply sincerely well i can assure you i know all that she exclaimed resuming for a moment her gay and sparkling manner you told me so twelve months ago in rome you told me so years ago when i was a foolish girl of thirteen and i believed you both times what have i done that you should cease to love me now cease to love you exclaimed charles marston i love you better more dearly than ever just as one prizes a jewel the last possession that one has which he knows must be parted with soon no you do not love me she said or you would not keep me in suspense what has happened charles tell me at once what has happened it can be done in very few words he replied when i told you in rome how i loved you i myself possessed a considerable fortune settled upon me by my father at the time of my mother's death what she inherited from her father 
at that time i believed that sooner or later very considerable wealth in addition must be mine and although that fact could not change the difference between your rank and mine yet it in some degree justified me in seeking your hand and might have justified you in giving it to one who had known and loved you as you say from childhood well well he continued seeing her make an impatient gesture as if to hurry his tale the rest is soon told this morning my uncle in the most unkind and indifferent manner informed me that my father was a bankrupt i need not tell you lady anne who i think know me well that my first act must be to restore to my father the income he settled upon me i will not indeed throw my mother's fortune into the hands of his creditors for that i do not feel myself called upon to do but the income of course is his for his life well said lady anne as if she did not see the deduction which he would draw i must of course continued charles embrace some pursuit in order to raise the fallen fortunes of my family that is painful enough for one of my habits and character but there remains the still more painful task of abandoning those hopes which you once permitted me to entertain of giving you back every engagement and every promise you made me and nerving my mind to all that must follow nonsense exclaimed lady anne how long is it since you heard this news not an hour ago he answered i determined to come hither at once and do what was right by you though i passed nearly an hour in the park struggling with thoughts which well-nigh drove me mad you should have come here directly she answered in a quiet tone and i would have taught you to overcome such thoughts by showing you what weak and foolish thoughts they were i was praising nonsense just now but what i meant was merry not sad nonsense now this is very sad nonsense indeed do you pretend to know me do you pretend to love me do you pretend to esteem me and yet suppose that any accidental change of circumstances any mere pitiful reverse of fortune would justify me in my own eyes for wishing to withdraw from engagements formed with as little consideration of wealth upon my part as upon yours i do you full justice charles and believe that you cared no more for my fortune when you asked my hand than i could do for the crown of england i believed and do believe that you would have sought me for your wife that you would still seek me for your wife if i had little or nothing and you have done very wrong even for one moment to look upon this event except as a misfortune which affects us both i cannot treat this subject so lightly as i might do most others because i know what has occurred must be very painful to you on your good father's account but thank god what i do possess although not so large as is generally supposed is still affluence nay wealth make over your income to your father as you propose that will be abundant for him and you will share mine charles marston laid his hand upon hers and gazed at her with deep affection but he still hesitated every one will say he replied and your guardians above all that you have thrown yourself away upon a fortune-hunter i am my own guardian she answered with a gay laugh thank god on the twenty-third of last month i arrived at the discreet age of one-and-twenty so you have no excuse sir 
i see clearly that you do not wish to marry me that you are fickle faithless and false in all your vows that you have fallen in love with some greek or some circassian or some lady turk but i will have a distinct answer charles marston before you quit this room you shall say yes or no if you say yes well and good there is peace between us but if you say no i will prosecute you for a breach of promise of marriage and produce all your letters in open court i can establish a clear case against you so think of the consequences before you decide she spoke gaily and cheerfully but when charles's arm glided round her waist and he pressed his answer on her lips lady anne's eyes overflowed with tears you have treated me very ill charles she said and i shall not forgive you for the next half hour how could you think so meanly and so basely of me did i ever talk to you about settlements or stipulate for pin-money or require that you should bring an equal share to the housekeeping with myself or did i set others on to do that which i was ashamed to do fie fie do not attempt to justify it for it was unjustifiable i am glad of it for one thing she added dashing the tears from her eyes and looking up with one of her sparkling laughs if ever i want to tease you it will give me something to reproach you with you shan't hear the last of it for some time i can assure you and i'll tell dear lady fleetwood how mercenary you are and that you think marriage is merely a matter of property that people should be perfectly equal in that respect at least then how she will scold you but now tell me all about it let me hear how your delightful uncle communicated this pleasant intelligence he always puts me more in mind of the statue in don giovanni than anything of flesh and blood i ever saw i will answer for it he told the whole as if it were an iceberg and every word was snow something like it indeed answered charles but yet there was a keen frosty wind coming from the iceberg which was very cutting and he proceeded to give his fair companion a more detailed account of his conversation with his uncle taking care to avoid that part of the discussion which had referred to maria monkton women's eyes are very keen however and there is something approaching to instinct in the clearness of their perceptions with regard to everything where other women are concerned it is only jealousy that ever blinds them and there they are as blind as the rest of the world but lady anne was not jealous of maria and therefore she seemed to divine in a moment what had been mr scriven's principal scheme charles had merely said he proposed to me several plans of action none of which suited me one of them i am sure said lady anne was to marry your cousin maria dear maria how often people have settled that for her but i could tell good mr scriven even if you had been willing his scheme would not have succeeded maria is in love charles maria is in love charles marston started and looked surprised with whom he exclaimed nay it is hardly fair to tell you replied lady anne and i will keep you in suspense as you kept me just now moreover i will tease you about it ungrateful man watch me well charles for the next two or three weeks and if you see me flirt unconscionably with any man while maria stands calm and self-satisfied by be you sure that man is her lover and think that i am trying to win him from her if you dare 
charles laid his hand upon hers and gazed confidently into her eyes you cannot make me jealous if you would he said i know you too well and yet you would not condescend to give colonel middleton a letter to me replied lady anne with a meaning smile simply because i did not feel myself entitled to take such a liberty replied charles marston without at least telling him our relative situation towards each other which you forbade me to mention to any one till you were of age so so frank middleton is the man of maria's heart is he it must have been very rapid or i must have misunderstood her for i think she told me he had only delivered my letter the day before yesterday oh he conquers exceedingly quickly exclaimed his fair companion it is quite true he only delivered the letter the day before yesterday and yet maria is head over ears in love with him and will marry him as you will see i was introduced to him the same day and though not quite in love with him do you know my dear charles i was so smitten that i asked him to dine with me yesterday which he accordingly did we had the pleasantest evening possible quite tete-a-tete -tete, for although good old mrs bryce sat out the dinner very patiently yet she went to her own room as usual immediately after and left him to make me a proposal if he thought fit he did not do it which after all the encouragement i gave him was very singular but you men are the most ungrateful creatures in the world of that i am convinced there now make the most of it for you shall not have one word of explanation from me till i think fit and you shall see me go on every day with this colonel middleton as wildly and as madly as i please without being in the least jealous unless i permit you charles caught her in his arms exclaiming in his old gay reckless tone i defy you little tormentor i have a great mind to punish you for your sauciness by kissing you till you carry the marks upon your lips and cheeks all over london but then gently relaxing his embrace he added in a softer and sadder tone after the proofs of love you have given me dear anne i could not doubt you do what you would and in spite of all you say i know you would not pain me for a moment even by a word or look be not pained then dear charles she answered and be sure that for whatever you see i have a motive and a strong one i shall see very little i fear replied charles marston for except during a short morning visit here and an occasional party at dear aunt fleetwood's i shall seldom meet with you till i have forced my way into the gay world again after an eighteen months absence which is quite sufficient to make all the affectionate people in london forget one come here and dine every day if you will replied lady anne laughing i care not who knows it now and only cared before charles because i hate lectures and dislike opposition when i am determined to have my own way if you meet frank middleton here you will of course be very civil to him and if i want to speak to him alone i can take him into another room you know of course of course answered charles in the same tone of light badinage but i have another task upon my hands which i must now run away to fulfil that of nursing my poor friend winkworth this announcement called forth questions which again required replies and after hearing the whole story lady anne exclaimed get him well as soon as possible for i intend to make you all come down and spend a happy week with me in the country either at harley or belford or carmarthen 
or somewhere lady fleetwood and maria and you and middleton and mr winkworth and all i took a great liking to that old man charles so you must engage him for me charles marston promised to obey and after a few more words with which perhaps the reader may have little to do he was taking his departure and had already reached the door of the drawing-room when lady anne called him back charles charles she said i want to speak to you and now remember i am talking seriously for once in my life i am going to make a declaration so remember it it is somewhat unusual and rather the reverse of what ordinarily takes place but no matter i love you truly and sincerely and none but you and she laid her hand affectionately upon his arm adding i never shall love any other and i say this because your confidence without any wish on my part to put it to the proof may be tried somewhat severely it will stand the test answered charles marston i were unworthy of your love dear anne if i could doubt you for a moment End of chapter fifteen